Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. So excited to have my friend Sharon Randall here today. Sharon is one of my Wellness Universe friends, and Sharon, like me, is a highly sensitive, empathic person and has been on this journey for quite a while and has a lot of really amazing things to share. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring Sharon on today is that Sharon is somebody who comes from and has been working in the corporate world for a really long time. And I know that there are a lot of people who sometimes see like corporate and empath as sort of like oil and water, but I also know that there are tons of highly sensitive empathic people who are working in corporate. And this is something that we need to be talking about because we're everywhere. So Sharon, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to share my I'm empathic so story. Do you want to just tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are, what you do? Mm -hmm. Well, presently, I am still working in the corporate world as a Cuban resource and accounting manager. And I've been doing that for 35 years. So it's been a long time. I am in the nonprofit world right now. Also, I am a healing mentor um, for the healing power from within. Uh, and I do this as I'm a Reiki master teacher. I'm a grief warrior, a fibromyalgia warrior, a highly sensitive empath and a chief encouragement officer because I really love encouraging people on their healing journey. Well, and I have to say, Sharon, that you really are a chief encouragement officer. You are one of the most generous people with your encouragement and with your support and with your affirmation. And you just always like you just always know when to reach out. You leave comments for people and just really you make I really think that chief encouragement officer is a very good description of who you are. <laughs> and I have ex personally experienced it. And for that, I'm grateful. So, Sharon, um, you know, you talk about being highly sensitive, but one of knowing the conversations that you and I have had a little bit, there was a point in your life where you didn't know that you were highly sensitive and empathic. And so I'd love to go back to the beginning of this and talk about like, what was going on for you that like before you knew, like what were the how was it for you? Were there challenges? Like what was what was it all about for you? Well, from the time that I was a child, I was always, people always said to me, you're too sensitive. Mm -hmm. You need to toughen up. And I never fully understood what they meant by that. And I, you know, and I was, I experienced bullying for my sensitivity from a teacher, no less. Oh my so, goodness. yes. So that was um, disempowering. And, and gratefully, I had a mom who really understood me and she didn't allow anybody to like trample all over me, you know? So, but I was so afraid of this woman. Um, and she, and she just picked up on my sensitivities, you know, and I would cry at the drop of a dime or, you know, I just felt things that I couldn't explain. Um, so if fast forward, you know, into my teen years and everything, 
Um, my parents were divorcing. I was lashing out a little bit, still being called, you know, too sensitive, you know, um, but I, I kind of self-medicated in my high school years, if you will, you know, I smoked and I drank. I think a lot of us highly <laughs> sensitive empathic teenagers did. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and I never really felt like I fit in anywhere. Right. I was popular. I had a lot of friends. I knew a lot of people. I just never felt like I felt fed in even with my own family. I didn't feel like I fit in. And I remember my, father's mother, my grandmother saying to me when I was a child, she'd say to me, you know, you are very special person. And I just want you to know that, that you are beautiful inside and outside. And I'll never forget that. I mean, my, she had like, what, like 13, 14 grandchildren, so all of which were my first cousins. Mm. And she's sharing this with me. So when I look back at that, I realized she saw something in me and my mom and her mom, my, my maternal grandmother were always there for me. They would always, you know, um, I call it like protection. Now mm -hmm. they were without, you know, really talking to me and telling me what was going on, because I don't think they really fully understand what was happening with them either. Right, right. And the whole part about intuition, you know, like I was brought up in the 60s, you know, my mom was brought up, brought up in the 40s and 50s. And so all of this stuff was like, you didn't talk about this stuff. And then even when my parents were divorcing, you didn't talk about that in the late 70s. So there were a lot of things that I stuffed. I stuffed down a lot of emotions. You know, and like I said, I would go out, I would party. Um, the drinking age was 18 then. I'm just going to qualify that. <laughs> yes, I remember when the drinking age was 18 as well. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't mean I didn't start before that, but I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. But when, when the drinking age is 18, that means that the seniors in high school can buy the booze for the rest of us. Yeah, yeah and I was really careful about that, but I was also responsible because I also had my own car. So I was, oh, wow. I was the designated driver. Mm -hmm. So I was always in a way of trying to take care of people mm. and ignoring myself at the same time. And so with stuffing all of that, you know, what I realize now is a lot of grief of that loss of my parents breaking up. And it was a public, I mean, it was not, it wasn't a pretty, no breakups are pretty, but it was hard. It was yeah. very difficult on my family. Um, my brother's four years younger than me. We lived, we grew up in the same house, two different ways of looking at things. Um, and I left as soon as I graduated from high school. I couldn't wait to leave, to get out of my house, to get out of the small city I was in and move to a little bit bigger city that had, you know, lots of stuff going on. So I skipped, I decided not to go to college, to wait a year before I went to college. And I moved with a couple friends um, to like 45 minutes from where I grew up. And I met and married a year and five years later, um, you know, a guy that I met and um, we divorced 
four years later, again, bringing up that loss, not fully understanding why I couldn't like process all of this. Like I couldn't, I just kept going from one thing to another. The, while I was married is when I realized that I had, um, I had accounting abilities, meaning I was, I had taken accounting one and accounting two um, college courses. And it's that started my accounting career in the automobile industry. So from there, I went to, um, after my ex-husband and I broke up, it, it, like I said, it wasn't an easy breakup, but I remember he and I were having a huge argument. It was like three or four o'clock in the morning on the phone. And I just remember getting off the phone, dropping to my knees and saying, okay, okay, God, if this is the way it has to be, then I'm going to trust you and just help me to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. So from that point, I started in, in my career. Um, so I just feel like I've gone from one thing to another to another. And then shortly after that, a few years later, while I was in the automobile industry as the accounting person, I burnt out fairly quickly um, from a job um, that I really liked. I mean, I had an accounting staff of 10 people. Um, I had a great person I worked with. He was one of the best bosses I ever worked with. And I realized that I still never processed any of that, any of that change, any of that loss. I just kept going from one thing to another, to another. Right. It's like an addict who doesn't know what to do. So they just keep going from one thing to another. You'd also been told from a very early age, you you know, suck it up. You've got to develop a tougher skin. You're overreacting. Mm -hmm. And I cannot even count the number of times I have literally heard people who are highly sensitive and empathic being told they're too sensitive. It's mm -hmm. like every single one of us has been told that at least some point in our life and that sort of like, oh, get over it. Stop worrying about it. Stop reacting to it. So it also makes sense to me that if you didn't have anybody other than your mother and grandmother validating that your experience was legitimate and real, that of course you're just going to move, go through the motions and go from one thing to the next because you're not even being validated for feeling these feelings. Why wouldn't you just go through the motions? But I'm curious, I'm thinking as I'm listening to the story, I'm thinking about like with both your marriage and with the corporate, I'm wondering in hindsight, how do you imagine that being highly sensitive and empathic affected your marriage and the ability to sustain it? And then also, and maybe even why you chose your husband in the first place, mm -hmm. and then also the burnout with corporate. So mm -hmm. let's talk about the marriage first, and then we'll talk about the burnout with corporate. Sure. Um, my marriage, I was, all I ever wanted to be was a wife and mother. And when I met this man, um, we were both very young. I was 19, he was 20. Mm. And um, very I was actually, young. yes, very young, especially <laughs> very in today's good. world. You're like, oh my God, I look at them now and I'm like, wow, what a baby I was. Yeah, you're baby. And, and I, it had difficulties from the get go. 
And I ignored a lot of things because actually, and I also grew up in a family where a father was like, oh yeah, you need to be married. You need to be barefoot and pregnant. You know what I mean? That Mm -hmm. was the attitude. Um, You know, and he was a very loving dad. I don't, I, you know, I don't want to take that away from him, but that was, you know, the way he thought. So it was perfectly acceptable to them that I would, would want to get married at 19. And I think that for me, because I had so much unprocessed, I just wanted to live that happily ever after life. That's what I wanted. And when I look back now, oh, I'm, I'm digressing. But one thing is, is the morning of my wedding, I was staying at my aunt's house with my mom. And my mom came to me first thing in the morning. I had just woken up. And she looked at me and she goes, are you sure you want to do this? Oh my goodness. (laughs) I said, mom, it's my wedding day. (laughs) And then she goes, would you like to take something for your nerves? And I'm like, "Uh, no. (laughs) I'm like, and I'm like, why, why, why are you asking me that now? Because then I felt the pressure of, even if I didn't want to go through with it, I felt the pressure of disappointing a lot of people. Cause mm-hmm. I had a lot of people coming in a couple hours. Um, so did you I, have any second thoughts or any, any doubts? I did. I did. Okay. Actually, I tried to break up with him probably like a month before our wedding. Mm. And so I knew, and I knew something was wrong because, yeah. and it had something to do. He and I got in an argument and I had just said, you know what? I don't think this is meant to be. And he, he cried and begged me not to go. So again, I am, you know, and also a self, like an ego driven, uh, he borderlined on narcissism, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't, but it was, you know, and everything was like, oh no, you can't, you can't leave me, you know? And I was like, and then I was like, okay, then we need to work this out. So then we worked it out, but then throughout the four years of our marriage, the first two years were pretty good. The second two years were not so great. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized that I was continually stuffing feelings and emotions. And now that I look back, I wasn't sure whose emotions they were. How much of them were they mine? How much of them were my environment that I was in? Um, how much came from my parents. Um, so it, it was, um, it was, a, it was a challenging time. And actually he ended up leaving me and I didn't know how to, I, it just really threw me. It broke my heart. Cause I was just like, and I felt unworthy. I felt not good enough for years. Yeah. Cause I was like, there must be something wrong with me that I can't keep my husband. And then, you know, now, now that I look back, I'm like, did I really want to keep him? <laughs> no. Well, in, yeah, in hindsight, I look at some of their failed relationships from that point in, or, you know, in my late teens and early twenties and even into my early thirties. And I'm so grateful that none of them worked out because I was making choices as a 
um, as a semi-conscious empath who was a people pleaser and really mm -hmm. like I mean I was attracted to the to, I was attracted to the projects I was attracted to the 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 sick puppies and I really I really if somebody like like when you said that he he got all weepy and teary and cried before you know and that's what won you over I just it's like how many of us were highly sensitive and empathic override our own intuition because like we that that emotional appeal you know that that's there and it's like as soon as somebody starts expressing or the waterworks turn on we're just like oh how can i help you how can i make this better it mm -hmm. it just fulfills that sense of of purpose i think so yes it yeah. does yeah yeah so what about what about um you know so it really sounds like what I'm hearing in regards to the marriage is that, you know, one, that you were really young and that you really had this incredible desire, but also that there was a lot of unprocessed emotions. There was a lot of emotions that were your own, a lot of emotions that were your parents. There were a lot of emotions that were coming from your husband. All of it was just kind of this whole thing. And you didn't have any tools or mm -hmm. any awareness of how to manage any of it. You just kept putting one foot in front of the other and trying to follow sort of the set of rules that existed back in like, I'm imagining the early 80s at this point in time, you know, of what it means to be a quote, good wife. Um, you know, so it, it makes, I don't know, it makes total sense to me that you kind of found yourself in this place where suddenly the marriage is not working. So uh, you were saying that that sort of motivated you or led you to sort of say, you know what, I want to make, I want to, I'm going to focus on my career and I'm going to make that work. So that actually leads to this other part of the story, which is, so then you kind of doubled down and you went into the auto industry and started working in corporate. You had the best job ever really fantastic boss, amazing team, and yet still you were burning, still you found yourself burning out. So talking from the perspective of unrecognized empath, and I just wanna say, I think this is such a big deal and such a big thing for so many people that I think there are way more empaths in the world that don't know their empaths and don't know what it's like. So actually, I'd love to talk about what are some of the problems that you were experiencing in work that you now can say, oh, this is because I was a highly sensitive, empathic person and I just didn't have the words for it or the language for it or the tools for it or anything. Mm. Yes. Um, well, I can tell you that I'd be sitting in my office having a good productive day and all of a sudden I'd be overwhelmed with, with like an emotion and I'd be like, what's wrong with me mm. and not realizing that what I was doing was I was picking up on two of the women who were outside my office and they would chat all the time. And I didn't realize that I was picking it up. Now, interest, interestingly enough, there was a woman that I worked with. Um, she, she was um, my accounts receivable person. She, she, shared with me that she had clairvoyance and um, she struggled with that. And I didn't really understand what she was saying, but she said it was really hard because she could pick up 
people's emotions. Like she knew what I was thinking. So at first I'm thinking, oh my God, that makes me very nervous that she thinks that she's picking up on what I'm thinking. And I think back to our conversation and I think back to the fact that, you know, there have been a lot of people put in my life to kind of show me what that means. Um, so, and, and then I would get, um, when I wasn't, I didn't handle conflict well. So I would try to avoid it if I could. But if it was there, I was this young, late 20 something who could stand up for herself and say, oh no, you're not talking to me like that. <laughs> and I didn't know where I got it from. All I know is that it was something within me that finally was just saying, no, mm. no, no, we're professionals. Why are you talking to me like that? Um, and the other part with the burnout was at the same time, I was also, um, I had also gone through uh, becoming Catholic. So I was going through divorce went through um, the process to become Catholic because I was, I was raised Protestant. And I, so my faith was also growing at the same time. Mm. So I used my faith a lot and I prayed a lot through a lot of things, but still not fully understanding what I was processing. Mm -hmm, I just didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get it at the time. And um, when I said I burnt out, I burnt out not only from being in my corporate job, but as soon as I became Catholic, I was very involved. And I also had started a singles Catholic group with another friend of mine in the area. I mean, I just, and I was exercising like crazy. It was like, it was all of everything together um, being a workaholic. Mm -hmm. And I was raised by workaholics. So, um, but it's more than just work. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also that thing of when you don't have validation for the fact that you're picking up thoughts, feelings, and energy from the world around you, and you're being told develop a tougher skin, suck it up, buttercup, just keep moving. You know, it's like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Just keep moving. There's nothing to see here. It makes total sense that especially if you have family members, you know, like you're, you're not the first one like this, that you come from other people, that busyness is a way to manage this when there's nothing else. I mean, I even, I know, I know empaths mm -hmm. who are like perpetual knitters because just having something to kind of keep that, that energy going so that there's, it's kind of channeled. So it makes complete sense that with the unprocessed grief, with the unprocessed emotions, with all of the things that were going on, that you just were filling your time with everything you could possibly fill it with. It makes complete sense to me. Yeah. And at that same time, I was experiencing some chronic pain that I was just nobody... ask you about the fibro. Yeah, yeah, I was experiencing some chronic pain that no doctor could explain to me. Actually, the one doctor that I had that I was going to, he told me to go see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly enough, my mom and my grandma both suffered from chronic pain as well. So being the person, the get it done, 
go for it person. I started doing my own research and I was um, seeing a great chiropractor at the time. I've always, I've been blessed with great chiropractors. I was seeing a great chiropractor at the time. Um, and he and I together, um, he helped me to do some research. Like back then there was no Google. So I had to go to the library. I had to go through all the index cards to try to look up what I had. And the initial thing was called fibrositis. Um, which is what my grandmother was told that she had um, way back when. And it was a result of a car accident for her and also stuffed emotions and unprocessed yeah. grief. Yeah. Um, and dealing with an abusive husband, um, you know, all of those things, verbally abusive, I should say. Um, and so also I was working, I, I also work part-time. Well, let me wrap up the, when I left um, the job that I had, I was actually being laid off because it was the time, the early nineties when the Chevrolet sales tanked. Mm -hmm. So the, I was working for a Chevrolet dealership. So what was happening is, is that the owner decided he had one too many managers and one too many admin. So for him, he felt that to get rid of me as the office manager, he didn't want to totally get rid of me. He wanted me to take a lesser position and to take a $10,000 cut in pay. And the controller who was my boss said to me, do not take it. He called me in the office. He was so upset. I had already laid off three people. I had already asked him if he thought that our job, my, uh, that our jobs were safe. And he said, we can do everybody's job, Sharon. So I, I, I feel pretty good that our jobs are good. When he brought me into his office a couple weeks later, the look on his face, he was so visibly upset. Now this was a fairly quiet, empathic man that mm -hmm. I realize now. I mean, mm -hmm. he said to me, here, Sharon, I have news that, um, you know, the owner wants to eliminate your position. He'd like you to stay, take a $10,000 cut in pay and take, you know, the receivable position. He goes, I don't recommend you take it. Mm. He mm. goes, I recommend you just start calling all your contacts. He goes, and you just get another job. So from that point, I was a little, I was a little soured on the automobile industry. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, a little, <laughs> yeah. a yeah. little. And I had other job offers in the automobile industry, but I was like, you know what? I didn't want to continue fixing everybody's problems. Right. I was, I was kind of tired of it and I was burnt out from it. And yet I, I can only imagine, <laughs> you know, you, I'm sure I'm imagining you heard the term, the geographic cure, where it's, you know, it's like fixing people's problems is not exclusive to the automobile industry by any means. <laughs> exactly. I, I want to say, so the whole something up that I'm hearing that sort of, it reminds me of a parallel story of my own, which is that I'm seeing how the universe was an agent for things that you would not have been able to do mm -hmm. for yourself. That, you know, your husband, your husband, you would have stayed, I'm sure, 
to the bitter end with your husband if he had not left. And yes. even with this job where you, the universe laid you off, like I've had similar experiences where as a, I'm a Capricorn. And so it's sort of like with my, yeah. So like that, that like that, that stoic grip of like, I absolutely refuse to let anything go that, um, I just, I think that, that sometimes the universe will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And I'm just struck by that, that theme in your story where I'm like, oh, I recognize this, where I would have stayed, I would have held on, I would have just, you know, not like muckled onto it and doubled down. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, I look at these things and go, oh my God, I'm so grateful that these things did not work out. So... It, Absolutely. It's interesting hearing how you had a similar experience. I totally identify yeah. that. And I can look back to all of this where people were put in my path. The universe stepped in. There were so many things, um, you know, so many guides. Um, yes. And I believe that everything happens for a reason and that yeah. we're, we're guided. Um, when I was dealing with the chronic pain and no one could tell me what it was. I was also working part-time in a bookstore. It was a self-improvement bookstore. The owner of it was an entrepreneur. It was, you know, like in the eighties, but I mean, that was a new, new thing, you know, late eighties, yeah. early nineties, you know, and he, he wanted to go and do the, um, you know, the circuit, the, the, uh, motivational speaker circuit. He wrote a book, um, and I really enjoyed it. I, it was a part-time job, but I really enjoyed the people I worked with. We really had fun. Um, and I remember a customer coming in and I remember uh, chatting with her and we just kind of hit it off. And she was describing some chronic pain that she had. And I said, oh, now this was after I had done a lot of research. And she said, and I said, oh my gosh, you're describing what I have. She reads into her pocketbook and she hands me this pamphlet from the Arthritis Foundation that says fibromyalgia. Oh. And I get chills now thinking about it. Yeah. I read, I read quickly through it and I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. That's what I have. Um, so that brought me on a whole different self-care journey. Um, so, it, it, and like you said, there's so many things that come together and there's reasons for everything. And it's what we do with that. Like we could stay stuck and say, oh my God, my husband left me. I'm never going to be worthy. I'm never going to like make it. I'm never going to find another man, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it, it really is about, I give myself credit for that. And I think it's because of the women in my family that I've seen them just get up and mm -hmm. just keep moving forward. Um, and granted, you know, understanding the fibromyalgia piece, working with that, doing my own self-care, um, that started my self-care journey, my intense self-care self journey. And I, I think sometimes that the fibromyalgia was a blessing Yes. Because it really stopped me. Yes. 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 It helped me to like really understand 
the workaholism, mm-hmm. the, um, I'm still not connecting that I, I knew that I, I had empathy because I was able to understand people, but still not connecting being a highly sensitive person and being empathic. I still wasn't connecting it. And um, I didn't connect it until five years ago. And I will tell you that from so just thinking the, about the math, sorry, I just for interesting yes. in here, but just thinking about the math five years ago, we're talking about you started. So you worked in you, you know, from the 80s to the 90s, you were working in the automobile industry, working in corporate and dealing mm-hmm. with chronic pain and dealing with like a level of a level of of like stress and busyness that Mm -hmm. kept you going and then you got you got laid off and I'm imagining sort of you know and and ended up kind of going into like you're working at the bookstore it doesn't necessarily those details but but we're talking 90s to 2017 so Mm -hmm. what what are like 23 years or something of time between or 20 at least 20 years of time between when you Mm -hmm. that you just like limped along that you were just like dealing I can't even imagine Sharon yeah and it it was um it yeah when I look back to all of that and I do believe it was my faith it was my Mm -hmm. faith that kept me strong it, I always, I had prayed from the time that I converted for the strength, courage, and wisdom to live my life the best I can, according to God's will, um, just so that I could learn to take it one day at a time. So I really, I give my faith a lot of credit for getting me through all of that time. And in between there, I'd have relationships here and there, um, most of which you know, now I realize and several years ago, or a lot of narcissistic men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and in my 50s, I decided that was my last one. <laughs> Go you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just, you know, I want to acknowledge that, you know, you were talking about fibromyalgia. And I just want to say that I really wonder how many highly sensitive empathic people are have contend with fibromyalgia. I know so pretty much everybody that I know who has fibromyalgia is an empath. And, you know, I definitely see it seems like many of us deal with some kind of chronic illness, whether it's Mm -hmm. fibro, whether it's autoimmune issues, whether it's like chronic Lyme or something. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's just it seems like and just the fact that I know from my experience as a healer and is doing work with people that if we don't deal with the issue up front, it will find its way to work itself through our body, and it, it does tend to show up. So you were saying that, you know, so, so let's sort of, I am imagining that our listeners can imagine 20 years of living with fibromyalgia and, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of on a wing and literally on a wing and a prayer, just kind of getting through this mm-hmm. process. And then you were saying, um, I think you and I were having a conversation about earlier about how you actually, it was a massage therapist who, mm-hmm. who said to you, Hey, Sharon, I think you're an empath. So 
like, let's talk about that aha moment of mm -hmm. what that was like for you. Oh my gosh. Relief. Yeah. Relief that, oh my gosh, I kind I now understand. I understand so much, you know, and, um, see in 2015 so what's that seven years ago now i left a job of 13 years working for an awesome nonprofit with an incredible mission mm -hmm. um i did not know how to handle stress I, mm -hmm. I was the accounting manager human resource manager i did not know how to handle all this stress around me mm -hmm. i did not know how to handle all of the all of the um i was so busy trying to take care of everybody um, that finally it just came crashing down on me. And my mom said to me, and this was shortly before my mom passed away, almost a year before she passed away. She said to me, Sharon, you need to leave your job. Mm. Now, my father would not ever tell me that, but my mom was like, you, you need to leave your job. But the job wasn't exactly the total problem. Right, right. I still had not... I, understood and identified myself and understood why I was so burnt out all the time. Every, every area of my life, every few years, I get burnt out. I, I didn't understand it. Then when the massage therapist mentioned it to me and I started Googling it, I was like, oh my gosh, this explains a lot, yeah. if not everything. And I will tell you that I'm back in the same position. Yeah. I came back to the same position a couple of years ago and I came back a different person. I came back to, was I still tired and exhausted? Yeah, there was a lot of work to do, but you know what? I understood myself better. Yeah. I was able to ask the question, is this my emotion or is this someone else's emotion? Is it the situation that I'm reacting to? It, what, you know, like I, I have the ability to ask the questions and also the ability to know that I'm standing in choice now because I had left a job of 13 years, you know, in my fifties and, you know, people are like, Oh, people can't get jobs in their fifties. You're wrong, wrong. I, I learned that I was highly marketable and I didn't think that way there. I was depressed. I was like, Oh, a monkey could do my job. You know, like I was like, didn't value myself, felt unworthy. And then all of a sudden when I left, you know, I left for another nonprofit that didn't, that didn't work out so well. And that's okay. That was, you know, but what happened was, is I, I got all these other job offers and I realized how highly marketable I was. And then because, so then you know, so that was 2015, 2017, two years later, boom, mm -hmm. everything came together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I get this now. And I learned so many more. Like I took my prayer and my meditation to a whole new level. Yes. I finally understood the concept of the healing power from within. Mm -hmm. I had discovered Reiki. Mm -hmm. I had discovered healing energy and that we all have the healing energy. We don't need to be certified. Um, yes, it's nice to have the, the credentials and the certification, but we all have it. And my goal is, is to help people tap into that yeah. and yeah. to tap into knowing themselves. And the other reason I started the 
Facebook group too, was because I have found that a lot of women who didn't know they were empaths were coming to me. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, I would like you to take this quiz. Yeah. And I'd yeah. like you to join my group. I said, so let's actually talk about what it means or that, that thing of like, what are the way, what are the signs that you recognize? Like when you meet people who don't know their empaths, like, let's talk about that a little bit of like, what are the signs that somebody should be looking for when they have no idea, like that, that they're highly sensitive and empathic? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of it has to do with my own experience. Yes. And, and understanding that, you know, when someone says something and um, they're sharing something that's very upsetting for them, realizing that they, I'm able to, to say to them, you know, you're, you're, you're being, you are a highly sensitive person. So I want you to take a step back and to realize that this is not necessarily about you, mm-hmm. even though it feels like it's about you and it's very upsetting and I'm not taking that away from you. It is extremely upsetting what has just happened. I said, um, but for you, you know, to try to understand that there are ways, like I consider being a highly sensitive empath a gift. Yes. And that's not always easy to tell people that because a lot of people are like, I don't want this gift. Right. I'm like, a lot of people think it's a curse. Yes. And I'm like, I want to, I embraced it. Yeah. And this is what I want to encourage other people to do is to embrace that. So when I see someone who is really struggling, I just say, hey, can we have a little conversation? Can we talk about this? And I'll say, here's what, here's what I've discovered about myself mm-hmm. as a highly sensitive person, as an empathic person, as an intuitive person of, of trying to navigate the world. I have learned to navigate the world in healthier ways. Yeah. Um, do I have slips? Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. It's, it's an ongoing journey. It's not well, a one and done thing. Well, and the thing is right now, you know, the temperature has really gone up a lot energetically. And it's like we are in a global crisis at the moment. And mm-hmm. as impasse, it's like, you know, our, our, we, it's sort of like we need more insulation in a way than we did before because it's much hotter. You know, you said something that I wanted to circle back around about because I think it's a really important thing which has to do with empaths avoiding things and kind of the whole, like when your mom is like, you got to get rid of that job. I think what I've seen for so many of us, when we're in that first stage of recognizing that there's external things causing our stress, instead of looking at how do we readjust ourselves, Mm. a lot of times what I see us doing, or many of us have done, is we exit everything. We we remove ourselves from things. We quit the job. We We stop eating all the food. We eliminate the household cleaning products. We do all of these things and I'm not saying use Febreze or whatever you know <laughs> right I get like, <laughs> but but um but like I see I see this happening for so many of us is that we just keep on peeling away and isolating and isolating and I've seen empaths who get really 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 like um in like like just like in the like a boy in the plastic bubble because it's there it's like it just, it keeps on coming. And I was thinking the challenge with this 
is that when you quit the job and you said it, it's like, I knew like this was not about the job. Like, like, yeah, the job was the external problem, but the solution was not there. And so I just, I really, I really wanted to draw that out because I was just thinking about how incredibly, um, hard it is at that stage in the sort of we know something's going on and we know there's a con connection to the outside world about it but we don't necessarily but but we don't necessarily know the sol the inner solutions yet mm -hmm. yeah. yes and i so agree with everything that you just said because it, it is we're in a society where it's like okay that's not working let's just move on to something else move along yeah and instead of looking internally and being mindful. And I can also tell you that I just, I want to share this. I want to get this out. My, the fibromyalgia is a lot better for me since I have been navigating the world in a lot healthier ways. Um, but I know my stress levels. I have great, I have a great um, primary care doctor and um, I may call her once a year. And I said, I, this is talk me down time you know, cause I'll get like super stressed and I'd be like, okay, help me, you know, cause also too, is there's, and okay, you got to add in a pandemic to all of this too, but right. it's also been a constant change. I've been in a constant change for a few years um, and not being able to process those changes. And that also adds to the chronic dis-ease in your body. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing that I notice in people like people with fibromyalgia, because I created another group um, specifically for people with fibromyalgia. And then I changed the group's name to the healing, the healing power from within because of helping people to understand that this is where it has to start. It has yeah. to start from within us. And yeah, I was doing, oops, sorry. You know, I was doing as much self-care as I knew how to do. Right. But then once I understood what, what being an empath and a highly sensitive person is and not damning that mm. and saying, I'm going to change that, I embraced it. And I'm like, this is who I am. And it just felt better. And also... Um, you know, I also became a hospice volunteer, so I'm, I'm a trained hospice person. So I learned a lot about the grief and loss. I also did a stint as a youth minister as well. And I worked with teens and families. So I was able to help other people work through a lot of grief and loss. Um, so that allowed things to open up for me. Um, and even just recently, um, about a year ago, I realized that I still had some unprocessed grief that I had not. And I worked with a grief, a grief coach because, and who was also a corporate coach, which was a bonus for me. Mm. It just, yes, having the combination of both. And I was struggling a lot again with, with, with work and with stress, having that combination and having someone like that to talk to and learning strategies and also learning about standing in choice Mm -hmm. And also, a dis and also knowing and disowning the fact that not every not every situation is about me. Right, right, right. 
Yeah. I mean, I think I, I really love um, Don Miguel Ruiz's The Four Agreements. And mm, just, oh, yes. You know, mm -hmm. And just the idea of one of those agreements is don't take anything personally. And I think as I mean, as human beings, we tend to take everything personally. And so frequently things really are not about us. You know, Sharon, I, I the things that I keep hearing in, th in this amazing story and sort of the through line for you that is so important is one is that everything everything that really ultimately has been the biggest challenge for you has been as a result of unprocessed stuff but especially Absolutely. unprocessed grief yes and i love that you're talking about grief because i actually personally believe was something i said a long time ago is when in doubt grieve i yes. think that I think that we do anger and fear a lot more easily than we do grief. And I think that we will we will scare the ever-living ass out of ourselves to avoid feeling grief sometimes because grief just seems to be, I think a lot of people are terrified that if they allow themselves to feel grief, that they're just gonna be, it's, it, will, it will sweep them away. It will be like a tsunami of grief that they mm -hmm. will never, ever, ever, they'll just drown in it. And yet it seems so incredibly, you know, and yet I, what you're saying, I agree, agree with completely. And so I just keep hearing you talking about like all of these, the realization that again and again and again, that just trying to put your one foot forward and just keep trying to just keep on keeping on was not working. And that the only way through was the, was to lean in and process and accept. And then also that instead of damning being highly sensitive and empathic and, you know, sort of like trying to just like ignore being an empath, that acceptance of your gifts, acceptance mm -hmm. of what you are has really been the only way through. And just, and what I'm really hearing you say is it has been absolutely life changing for you that you're not experiencing the same amount of pain that you experienced before. I'm imagining you're a lot happier at this point in time. Yes, yes. I'm yeah. a lot more content than I've ever been in my life. Yeah, yeah. Which is and so also awesome. also finding my soul tribe um, a year ago has been huge. Yeah. You know, meeting, meeting people like yourself within the wellness universe was an answer to prayer. It, mm -hmm. it kind of, um, it just brought it all together. And this past year has been a real growing experience for me to really, um, and also I've been on a grief awareness, um, journey too like that's my big thing and also especially grief in the workplace I mean it's like okay you get three days off and then you get back to work and you do this and you do that well you know what grief doesn't work that way um and if I can continue to hold space for people doing during grief and loss and also change change needs to be grieved too. And sometimes when we just go from one change to another, to another, especially in organizations, especially in corporate world, right? There's no time to process. No. And, and all of that stuff that's not processed stays in our bodies. And yes. that's the biggest thing that I learned. And that's what I've always believed about fibromyalgia was that I had 
that it was stuffed emotions. Mm-hmm. I didn't connect that it was unprocessed grief until I lost my parents in 2015 within mm-hmm. seven months of each other. Within That's seven months. That plummeted me. And yeah. I left two jobs. Yeah. yeah. I left two jobs and then lost uh, and lost my parents. And it plummeted me into, uh, it's like my doctor said to me, Sharon, I, you need to rest. You need to relax. You need to heal. You need to not work for a while. And I was like, whoa. You know, and well, she'd and- known me for years. Within the corporate world, you know, the thing is, as you're talking, I'm thinking about like all of the griefs that are sort of hidden, things like miscarriages or the um, breakup of, you know, if somebody's, for example, in a in a polyamorous relationship and somebody has, you know, like that's one of the most like that's that's I've known people where it's like if you have a primary partner and that relationship is staying, the idea that, you know, you could be grieving the loss of another or of a friendship. Mm -hmm. There are so many kinds of relationships that end that we don't get to grieve about because they're not the sanctioned ones. And then even within the context of a a bereavement and death, Mm -hmm. the idea, like I cannot count the number of widows and widowers who I have spoken to over the years who hit the year mark. And then everybody's like, oh, you should be done by with this by now. You should be fine by now. You should be over it. And I just, you know, as you were saying, and then the whole thing within the the business world and the work world of compartmentalize, you know, like there is no space for emotions in business. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, this is business. We need to get on with it. And yet what you're saying is, it's like, we are human beings. We are bodies processing things. We are emotional bodies. Yes. And it's like, you can't just show up nine to five and put everything away when you are heartbroken and just so I love the fact that it sounds like you are being called to to really look at and and maybe really restructure the whole relationship to bereavement and grief within the workplace like ah, I mean I'm getting chills just thinking about that Mm -hmm. because it's so I mean it's such an incredible what an incredibly important thing so absolutely and the grief coach that i work with that's what she focuses on is grief in the workplace and that's her you know she wants grief awareness in the workplace um and she's she's incredible she was she was an incredible coach for me um and i took i took one of her workshops that's what i did i took one of her linkedin workshops and i immediately messaged her i was like oh my gosh thank you for, for sharing this. It was like grieving in the workplace. You know, how do you handle somebody who's grieving? And I was like, oh my gosh. And the other thing that we're grieving and you, you've mentioned it a few times. I mean, we're living in a time right now with all of this COVID there's so much loss. There's so much change. There's so, and there's so much out of control, out of our control that it's, 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 difficult to process it all and if you say to somebody like the average person like even in my family if I say to them you know maybe you should just take a little few days off to relax nope I'm fine I'm fine gonna keep going no I got a lot of work to do I got a lot of work to do and if I don't do it nobody's gonna do it for me I'm like well guess what that work is gonna be there for you 
if you take a day off or you don't take a day off, right? You know, like I just, I just took an extended time off so that I could just regroup, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's about 10 days off. And I'm like, I really needed this time. And I'm, this is what I've learned about myself as a highly sensitive empath and dealing with something that's chronic is that I need these times. I mean, before my doctor years back, my doctor used to have to put me out a week on bed rest just to get me through. And that's all I could do is work. And I, I'm tired of just working and not and not having that the energy to do anything else but work so i'm learning i'm also learning more about that too is how can i um how can i have more energy outside of work and i have actually discovered that through reiki being a reiki master teacher being a healing mentor discovering the wellness universe um i so I feel like everything is moving, is, is, mm-hmm. is moving in a really awesome direction for me right now. And it feels good. It feels good to be in that place. I am so glad. And Sharon, it, it just, it's in hearing your story and just the through line of all of it, I love how willing you've been to look at the journey, to not flinch or look away from the pain and just how how so much of coming to know yourself has really, you know, ignited the healing power within you and really given you the ability to just to, to be a voice in this world for reason and also a champion for the empaths in the corporate world. Because I'm just really think you know, it's like, what if the corporate world could be a completely different place? What if it could be a place where mm-hmm. people get to be human and people get to get support? You know, the other thing I wanted to be, I wanted to be sure to just draw out is something that you've talked about a lot. And if anybody's listened to um, last season's interview with Clark and Perdita Strand of The Way of the Rose, you know that I am a big fan of prayer myself, mm-hmm. and particularly a fan of using the beads and praying the rosary, um, but in a, in a sort of really reclaiming it for ourselves. But I wanted to call out the fact that you've spoken about prayer a number of times as we've been mm-hmm. speaking. And I just think that 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 willingness to or that connection to divine source, no matter how we define, you know, God, goddess, yes. like, mm-hmm. you know, that everybody, I, I believe that we all come to our relationship with the divine. It's very deeply personal, mm-hmm. but I just, I really love how you've been sort of, that's been, that's sort of the thing I kept hearing too, is like, you've prayed for guidance through this entire mm-hmm. journey. And something that really reminds me of my own experience too, is that the divine timeline has been its timeline, not yours. And that there's been a lot of like, (laughs) you know, you spent 20 years in prayer waiting Mm -hmm. for guidance and 20 and then one day I'm getting chills and like tears are in my eyes Um, because it's like you spent 20 years in prayer asking for answers and then one day in 2017 the answer came and you were ready for it and Mm -hmm. I wonder even how much of that willingness to be willing and the prayer that just persistent constant prayer on your part 
was what sort of polished the stone or opened the way or or maybe like the dry soil was so parched that it just softened the soil enough for like the seed to take purchase you know like but i just really love how prayer has been a piece of your story and your journey as well oh absolutely I couldn't have done any of this. I, I, and I always say, I don't understand how people can do without prayer. And actually I did leave, um, uh, organized religion a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And, but my faith and my prayer life has grown by leaps and bounds. Um, because you, what you do is you see it on a different level and you see it without constraints and you see, and you, you know, it gives a whole new meaning for me, it gave a whole new meaning to Jesus dying on that cross for me. Yes. yes. Because by that, that, that act is what makes us worthy to be loved mm-hmm. and to be honored. So, and to heal, honestly, to heal, to understand that abundance that God wants us to have in our life. And it includes everything, especially the healing piece. Yeah. So for me that, yeah, I can't do this any other way. Well, and as you were talking about, you know, the healing piece, you were talking about the need to take time and space. And that Mm -hmm. is something that I repeatedly have been hearing and seeing, especially as we're sort of in this, we're in this kind of weird, you know, two years into a pandemic now. Mm -hmm. And I, there was that period in January where everybody was getting COVID and a number of people that you and I both know were sick with COVID. Mm And it was striking to me how I kept getting this information and sort of this download of like, we are being asked by the universe to have a hard stop right now. Like in order for us to truly deeply reboot our systems, to, to upgrade the systems to, and for us to truly deeply heal, we have to come to a hard stop. And it's so striking, you know, you were talking about family members who are just like, oh, I'm fine, I'm just, I've I've got work to do. If I don't do it, it's not gonna get done. And you're like, it's gonna be there tomorrow. You might as well take the time off. I also personally sometimes ask myself the question, if I, you know, know, when I'm lying on my deathbed, am I really gonna care that I, Mm -hmm. you know, sent that extra email out? Like, does it matter? Like, does it matter? does that extra meme on social media matter? Like yeah. there are things where it's like really just not that important, but it's striking to me the fight that we as a species are having right now about the following basically what feels like the universe's divine instructions, which is slow down people, mm-hmm. stop, mm-hmm. pause, rest, heal, you know, and we can't something i've been hearing lately is you know it's like you can't heal a burn in the middle of a burning building you know it's like we have to be out of the fire we have to be out of the intensity in order for the healing to truly happen and yet this is also so deeply about trusting that divine you know that god goddess divine source has a plan for us that yep. does not necessarily mean that we're just going to be left high and dry. And that's scary. 
because mm -hmm. we've been so, you know, I mean, we've been, there's a saying, you know, self-will run riot. As human beings, we have been just like self-will run riot for a long time. And we've just mm -hmm. been running around kind of on our own battery packs for quite a while. So I think that trusting is, is such a process. And yet I'm hearing or have been hearing in your story also just this deep sense of acceptance, of trust, of faith. Of, mm -hmm. of willingness to follow things and to take space and time for yourself and to honor your inner rhythms and your needs in a way that you did not before. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. you're, you're right on target. Yeah, I, and I encourage other people to do the same. I encourage people I work with, you know, maybe you need to take a little time. Maybe, oh no, I can't take, oh, you know what? And I, I also come from it from a point of view, like if something were to happen to us, mm -hmm. somebody else would have to come in and do our job. Exactly. And also, I'm also a big person on, on also cross training, because I think we can't live in that bubble. And I've always been that way, even from the time I was a manager in the car dealerships. I trained every, I cross-trained everybody because, mm -hmm. you know, we need to we need, and, and even if we look at this from a society point of view, we all need to jump in at some point and support one another and yeah. help one another. And how can we do that? And what's the best way to do that? Well, in living, thinking from the standpoint of how do we live collaboratively as opposed yes. to from the sense of personal ownership, you know, like, yes. really, and I think that we have, we are in the middle or we're at the, it, I would say more like at the beginning of a global shift where we're going into a time of cooperation and a time of, of, of all boats, you know, the tide rises all boats, like this idea of together we all win as opposed to I'm going to hold on to my stuff and I'm the owner of this intellectual property and I'm the, you know, like this is mine, you right. know, and I, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in her book, Big Magic, she talks about how the universe, the muse, um, hedges their bets all the time by giving the same, you know, the same idea to a whole bunch of different people. And I think that it's this idea of like, what's more important is the, the nurturing of the whole and letting the whole thrive as opposed to necessarily getting to claim ownership or be like, I'm the one special person who has this one special skill that's going to die off with me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I also love um, what people say when they say that if we can heal ourselves, we're also contributing to healing the planet, to healing those around us and in the world. And to Absolutely. me, that is the most empowering thing to be able to stand in choice and to be empowered in that way is really incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sharon, this has been such a rich, rich conversation. It has been so yummy. And so I, before we, before we wrap up completely, I was thinking if you had like one word of advice, or actually let's go with two things. One, like, so if you had a word of advice for the, uh, like for the person who is struggling or like if something to tell somebody who doesn't know they're an empath, what would you say to them? And then the second question is basically what sort of one, like what's the most important tool or the most important thing that you can offer 
to your sister, brother and sister empaths, your fellow empaths? Hmm. To the first question, I would say empowerment. Take your power back. Because once you identify that you've given away your power, when you take it back, you're standing in choice and you're empowered and you're going to feel different and it's going to and you're going to feel so much better. Um, the second question is, I, I just want to encourage, continue to encourage people on their healing from within journey. Um, and that includes mostly processing grief and mm -hmm. loss mm -hmm. and understanding what that is in their life and taking and, and embracing who they discover themselves to be because it's who God created us to be. And who are we to say, no, I, I, I'm not, I'm not that person. Well, God created each one of us uniquely and we all are here to serve a purpose and we're all here to serve for the highest good. Yes. Um, I just want to ask for, I want to unpack process grief just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I want to say if there was sort of a, you know, like a, a a, like a one, like kind of like a, a tool or a way, like what does it really look like to process grief? How do you process grief? Like what would you suggest to somebody who is brand new in the grief journey and has no idea how to deal with it? What like one thing would you offer or suggest to somebody about that grief process? Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Put a name to it reach out for support. Also feel your feelings, mm -hmm. feel, feel them cry when you need to release. Yeah. Um, and also for me, losing my parents, it catapulted me into how do I want to live my life? Yeah, because it, it, it does create changes. Um, so you can choose to stay stuck in that grief, or you can choose to allow that grief to help you to move forward. Notice I did not say move on. I said you. move forward. Thank you. That's a really, really, really important distinction is moving forward as opposed to moving on. Because I think a lot of people do not understand that we yes. never move on. You nope. know, that grief is grief is something that changes us and transforms us. And, you know, I think sometimes it softens with time, but it's never, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's, it's something that radically changes us. And especially I think losing parents is unlike, I actually believe that parents, when our parents die, this was my experience with my, when my dad died that I did not know, but when our parents die, suddenly we become the terminal point on the chain that half mm -hmm. of our DNA has crossed over and there is something very, very, very significant about the yes. fact that half of our DNA, or in your case, all of your DNA had suddenly crossed over and you were basically the terminal point on the chain. And I think that that is, I mean, it, it, if you haven't experienced, it's just, it, it's, it, it's, it's almost an indescribable experience mm -hmm. until you experience it, but it's very, very significant. Yeah, and I, I still experience my parents on a spiritual level. Yes. And um, 
especially my mom and my grandma, mm-hmm. I feel that I have, by discovering myself and learning strategies to navigate the world in a healthier way as a highly sensitive empath, I've helped heal those two generations. Yes, yes. And yes, you were saying that, you know, the one of the beauties is as we heal ourselves, we heal the world. I also really believe that as we heal ourselves, we heal our ancestors. And that, yes, that we can and that we can also go back in and do the ancestral healing work, which is so powerful and important. Because when we go back in and we do the ancestral healing work, then it's like that that work floods forward into our new lines but also affects and benefits all of the family members yes. mm-hmm. and all of the the generations that have come after it it's so it's just so powerful Sharon, it is I, I could talk with you for I hours <laughs> hours and hours this has been such a rich conversation i really appreciate your candor and your your journey and just sharing your sharing your beautiful heart with us. So Sharon, it has been such a good conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. I I just want to thank you too, Jennifer. I, I so appreciate this opportunity to share my story. It's the first time I've done this in a big way. So I'm glad it was with you, Jennifer. Um, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we connected. Ah, my pleasure. Thank you. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time, hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.